Hello and welcome to this episode of Ask Amy. I hope you're having a great day. Today we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode. Instead of focusing on one topic for the entire 30 minutes, we're going to touch on several different topics that you viewers are asking me and we sort of get to walk you through the process because I want you to hear from the viewer about the problem that they're having and then you get to hear from the experts who I call on to help me answer those questions and get sort of that expertise knowledge. I don't always know the answers, but I know who to call to get the answers. So the first subject that we're talking about today are store returns or retailer returns. I think a lot of people can identify and know that there are some issues with this when you're returning things, maybe from the holidays, maybe a gift that you received that didn't quite work out. Um, We've all gotten so used to Amazon, for example. You order stuff from there knowing that if it doesn't work out, it's gonna be really quick and easy and simple to return it and get your refund or your credit within like a week tops. Well, that is not what happened to viewer Patty Miranda. I'm gonna let her explain exactly why she emailed me after she made a purchase online way back in September. It wasn't even the holidays. And then as soon as she got the item, it didn't work out. So she followed the store's instructions, the retailer's instructions to send it back. They received the item, but she never received her refund. She waited and waited and waited. I'll let her tell you, here she is. We had a wedding to go to in November. So I started looking online for some dress options and I found a few that I liked at Lord & Taylor. And I had shopped there in the past. So I'm like, okay, I've, I've shopped there before. So let me go ahead and order. So I ordered. And then when it came in, I tried it on and I didn't like it. So I immediately uh, went online and requested a label. And so right away, they emailed me a label. It was like within, the, within a few days of the purchase. And um, they sent me the label. I returned the dress. And then I got an email saying they received it. And so if you go online on their website, It'll, it says that you have to return it within 30 days and they mm -hmm. have seven, seven to 10 days to process your return. And it was, uh, it was like 300 $335. So it wasn't, you know, cheap. And mm -hmm. so, um, I kept getting the same standard email, you know, we're, we're behind, we're processing, we're backed up. We're processing a lot of, I guess, returns at the warehouse and we can't give you a timeline of when your return will be processed. Okay, I'm going to stop and interrupt here for a minute just to tell you that the Lord and Taylor that Patty thought she was ordering from is not the same Lord and Taylor that we all know. So they don't have brick and mortar stores anymore anywhere. So Patty probably assumed, like I would, that just because they moved all the stores out of Houston, that they probably still have other stores in other parts of the country. They don't. Lord & Taylor filed for bankruptcy in 2020. And then in 2020, a company called the Sadia Group, um, S-A-A-D-I-A, -A, they bought the brand and opened it, but only as an online retailer, an e-tailer. So that said, it is also very difficult to get in touch with anybody at Lord and Taylor. I could only find the same customer service email addresses that Patty found and they were communicating with her. They just kept putting her off and saying, not today, not today. We're still um, processing it. It may take a while. We're completely backed up. And I found these same responses from other customers online. They were getting the same runaround ordering. They had ordered products from August, returned them and still could not get their money back as of January. So something clearly is going on. Patty did finally go to her bank that where her debit card and her account is and tried to dispute the charge, 
But Lord and Taylor denied the dispute and said, no, we're actually working on refunding her and asked her to cancel the dispute and they would process her refund. This went on for September, October, November. Then they said uh, 90 to 180 days. What? My refund. So all of a sudden they changed the timeline. I was like, are you kidding me? I even went to the Better Business Bureau and I noticed they have an F rating on the Better Business Bureau. So I'm like, oh, great. I'm never going to get my money back. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I thought, well, let me reach out to you to see if you could help me or give me an option on what I can do next. To find out, I reached out to Ryan Marquez with the University of Houston Center for Consumer Law. They told her that it was looking closer to like 180 days. That's like six months. Oh, yeah. See, and that's ridiculous. That's kind of ridiculous. That does not sound reasonable at all. You know, you're telling me and, you know, this one thing you're telling me you can file for and receive your tax refund quicker than you can get a refund for a product that you paid the money right at the time of. And now they kind of owe you the money back because they have the product back. So here's specifically what Patty wanted to know, what we wanted to know. Are there any laws or guidelines or rules that say how long a retailer can take to refund your money or credit your purchase? And unfortunately, there's nothing for Texas, especially that's very specific on this. Other states like California might have like actually very specific laws on what what type of refund policies must exist. But for the average retailer, like especially in Texas, there is no specific guidelines or law that governs this. Possibly the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act, even though it's not specifically on returns, it does have um, like if the company is saying that it's going to do something and you made the purchase, like relying on return policies and that and they don't follow that, then, you know, then you could potentially use that to seek your money back. You always have to send the 60-day demand letter to them, telling them what your specific damages are, telling them how you were deceived. And so you can look at, there's a laundry list of violations in Chapter 17 of the Texas Business and Commerce Code. And so you'd have to make sure that you uh, actually draft a letter and send it. And it's the same as anything. Sometimes you want to make sure that you give some type of notice in writing. That way, when the court asks if you've given any type of notice, and that would be the same if you're just even demanding, hey, I returned this, I saw that you received it, you know, in October, and I still haven't gotten my money back, even though you got your product back. A quick reminder here, you can file a case like this in small claims court. Small claims court is supposed to be the people's court where you don't need an attorney to do that. There's a filing fee of something like $100 that may have gone up in the last couple of years to so like 120 bucks. But you can file in small claims court. You don't need an attorney to help you with these. You could probably Google and find, you know, how to find your own, file your own case. But anytime you file in small claims court, they make you write one of these demand letters anyway, giving the business or other party that you're having a dispute with notice that, hey, here's my issue. You owe me this amount of money and I'm going to give you 60 days to, to refund my money or we are going to court. A lot of times just writing that letter and sending it gets your issue resolved. So you never even have to take them to court. You never have to take time off work or go through all that hassle. When you write that demand letter, a lot of times it gets kicked up to their legal department where you've been stuck with this customer service group not getting anywhere. Um, so hopefully that will help. But good news, I did send an email to that same customer service address 
um, that Patty was emailing. And I said, hey, I'm an investigative reporter with the NBC station in Houston. And guess what? Within 24 hours, Patty got her $335 back. Um, no explanation of why it took so long, but she did get her money back. And now you have some insight and some um, steps that you can take if the same thing happens to you with Lord & Taylor or any other retailer on how you can get your money back. Hey, when we come back, we are talking to a viewer who reached out to me when she received a letter in the mail letting her know that she had unclaimed funds, some $8,000 that was owed to her. Naturally, the woman was suspicious about it. We're going to tell you what we find out and what you need to do if you get one of these letters, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this Ask Amy episode. Our next question comes from viewer Lynn Roman. She emailed me after she received a letter in the mail that definitely caught her attention, but she was very smart to proceed with caution and not just respond right away without doing a little bit of due diligence. I'll let her explain what that letter was about. Well, I received a piece of correspondence in the mail from unclaimed refunds, and it said to respond that I had a deadline this was a final notice received. Uh, it does indicate that I have a refund of around $8,200 uh, that are unclaimed funds. So naturally it piqued my interest and I wanted to look further into it. They provided a phone number on the letter. It has a Houston address. So the information on this letter looks like it's coming from a reputable business. So I called the 1-800 line. The lady did not give much information over the phone. She wanted me to set up an appointment and either I can have a representative come out to my homestead or I could go into the place of business to speak with someone. But um, I just wanted to look further into it to make sure it's not a scam. Um, I, I know that there is a claimattexas.org website, which I have already participated in last year and got some funds back. So I was kind of wondering what additional funds were out there. And that's why I was reaching out to you to see if you can help me uncover this letter to make sure, again, it's not a business scam. All right. So I can tell you that I knew right away after listening to Lynn what this letter was about. And that's because I've heard this story. I've done these stories before. So in talking with Lynn, I learned that she moved into her home in Cyprus in 2018, but she has never filed for a homestead exemption, even though that is her homestead. She said she's just put it off. Well, filing that paperwork, getting a homestead exemption can save you a ton of of money on your property taxes. It's something a lot of people don't pay attention to, especially if you escrow your taxes and it's rolled in with your mortgage every year, but you are paying far more than you should if you don't fill out the paperwork to get a homestead exemption. So what these private companies can do, it's all public record which properties have homestead exemptions and which do not. So they can go and as a way to sort of do research and drum up new business, find out which properties have homestead exemptions. They can see who has owned it and sort of surmise or guess that, oh, Lynn, that's probably her homestead because she bought it in 2018, doesn't own any other properties. And then they say, hey, we will help you get this money owed to you as long as you give us a cut of the money that you're going to get back. There's nothing illegal about what this company is doing. They are actually 
um, they, they can collect that money. But why would you use them when this is paperwork you can fill out on your own? It takes about five minutes. Everybody should take the time to do it. Um, I called Jack Barnett with the Harris County Appraisal District to confirm my suspicion about this letter. Many people get those letters. We've heard increasing complaints over the last several years, and they will file a homestead exemption for you if you don't have one. Why you would want to hire them to do that is beyond me. It's so easy to do on your own. It's free. You get to keep all the money you would have in a refund. And generally, we could go back two years if you did not have a homestead exemption. Amy, I have heard that you, everyone who owns a home should have a homestead, but my procrastination has led me to be lazy with this regard. And apparently there's $8,200 out there with my name on it, whether it's an overpay taxes, I don't know. As a home buyer, I thought that stuff was rolled up into my mortgage. Um, I, I honestly did not do my due diligence to ensure that I filed for one outside of when I you know, signed up to purchase the home. When we come back, a renter wants her security deposit returned. She says she gave 30 days notice when she moved out of her duplex and she left it in good condition. She's got the receipts that she paid rent and pictures of the condition that her duplex was left in. So why isn't the landlord returning her money and what can she do about it? We're tackling that topic when we come back. Welcome back to this episode of Ask Amy. I get a lot of questions about landlord-tenant law and what a landlord can and cannot legally do. So this question came to us from viewer Yolanda Burnett. She emailed me because she was trying to get her security deposit back. She moved out of her duplex and she said she did everything that she thought she was supposed to do. She had given her landlord 30 days notice and they weren't returning her deposit, which was $980 is quite a lot of money. So we can tell you that the Texas property code is very clear about security deposits. It says that from the time that you give your landlord notice, 30 days notice after you move out and give them your forwarding address, they have 30 business days from that time to return your security deposit or if they're not returning all of it or any of it they have 30 days to give you um, an explanation of why they kept all of it or some of it and say you know if it was carpet that was torn normal wear and tear is not included but if it was something that damage that was actually caused that they have to repair they have to spell that out for you um, all of that is very clear but this is different because Yolanda tells me that she found this duplex just driving by in Cashmere Gardens there was a for rent sign on the side of a duplex she stopped by called the number met someone there she said it was month to month she never had a written lease contract it was just she'd go to a certain office and pay the manager every month and get a receipt for it and so she says that when she gave her 30 days notice it was just as informal okay so i asked you hey did you give them a written 30 days notice did you write it down or did you just tell them in person how did you give that notice to tell them well what they i went to his house and i told him in person and he was like okay with it 
I didn't do nothing written because I feel like this is a, a landlord that I was like confident with that I can trust, you know, and I went to him verbally and like, okay, I'm about to move out because, you know, the situation I was in with my brother, he was like, okay. And it wasn't anything written down. How much was this security deposit you're now trying to get back? It was $980. And have they told you you're not getting it back? Yeah, they told me I wasn't getting it back. It was him and another guy that he works for. And did they tell you why? He said that um, I wasn't getting it back because of the $170 that I had supposed to owe him, which I do have a receipt for the remaining balance of the December rent. That's what he told me. So he says you didn't pay it, but you say you have a receipt that shows you paid it. Yes, I do have the receipt. And when I called him, he said, oh, well, she never gave me the 30 days notice in writing. And the, the owner of the property says it has to be written. But you tell, and I said, well, where, where's your contract? Where's your lease contract that shows that? And what did you say? He, he never gave me a lease contract because it was like month to month. He never gave me anything. Our expert on this subject is Donna Carney with Lone Star Legal Aid. This one is a little different because this tenant who reached out to me never had a lease. She said, oh, I was going month to month. They never gave me anything in writing. What she does have are receipts to prove that she paid the $980 security deposit. But now she says she can't get it back. Yeah, so let me maybe correct a misconception. A lot of people think they don't have a lease because they don't have a written lease. Uh, that doesn't mean they don't have a lease. You could, in fact, have a lease agreement, even if it's an oral lease. And so it sounds like she did have a lease. It just was not a written lease with this particular landlord. And so then does she have any rights if she gave 30 days notice, but she didn't give anything in writing? She said the manager just accepted her notice. And so she just assumed she was going to get her deposit back. Right. So the law does require on a month to month lease that if either party wants to terminate the lease, they're required to give a 30 day notice. If the parties reach some sort of an agreement on the surrender date, um, then they've reached an agreement. Hopefully that's in writing. I think that when you're talking about short term tenancies and certainly if there's not a written lease agreement, parties might reach some sort of an agreement in writing, which is to say, you know, I want to leave by some certain date. And the landlord might agree to that. And if it's in writing, I think the tenant will be relatively protected. Um, none of that touches on the security deposit. It just has to do with the date that the tenant is no longer obligated to pay rent, assuming that the tenant actually surrenders over possession of the unit. So does this woman have any right to get that security deposit back now then? So the security deposit is a separate issue. Security deposits are really held by landlords for a couple of reasons. One reason might be in order to recoup rent that wasn't paid. Sounds like that's not the issue here. The other reason that a security deposit is held is so that the landlord can be assured that there's no damage to the property. And it sounds like in this case, the landlord might have asked for a security deposit um, for that purpose. If the tenant and the landlord had agreed on a surrender date and the tenant did surrender by the date that was agreed, and if the tenant was paid, and it sounds like maybe the landlord had said the tenant was paid by a certain date, 
then the next question is, was there any damage to this property? And how does the tenant find out that information? Um, what rights does the tenant have? If there's no written lease agreement, then the law is what controls. And the Texas Property Code is very, very clear that the tenant is entitled to an accounting if the landlord wants to withhold any part of that security deposit. In order for the tenant to trigger their rights, the tenant is required to send their forwarding address to the landlord. Carney says in this instance, even though Yolanda is not required to give a written 30 days notice, the Texas Property Code does require her to give a written forwarding address and that the 30 days that the landlord has to return her property, her security deposit doesn't start. That clock doesn't start until they have her forwarding address written until they receive that. So I'm working with Yolanda in getting that certified letter sent with her forwarding address to the landlord. Now, if she sends that and the landlord doesn't respond by either explaining why they're not giving her security deposit back um, or they just don't send anything, if they're in violation of that, then she can take them to court. Now, if she wins, Carney says that she is entitled to three times the security deposit. So if she was due $980, she should get three times $980, 100 bucks, and then any attorney's fee that she would have to pay. So I'm helping Yolanda with that. We will let you know how it goes. Um, and if you have any questions or want links to anything that we've covered here, make sure you go to click2houston.com and you can find all of that information and content online. Some of you tell me that you have a hard time finding the specific stories that you're looking for and subject matter after our stories, there's an easy fix for that. Sign up for my newsletter. It goes out every week and you'll find details of each story that I do on KPRC every week. You can just go to clicktohouston.com, click on newsletters in the upper right hand corner of your screen, scroll down to where you see the Ask Amy logo and just click subscribe. You'll get one newsletter in your inbox every week with all the information you need to know. Hey, as always, if you've got a question for me, the way to get it to me is askamy at kprc.com. Just send me that email and we will work to get you an answer. I hope you have a great day.